And we have another lesson today from the Gospel according to Luke, from the first chapter beginning with the 46th verse and to the end of Mary's speech in verse 56. Listen now for God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is God's name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Early in this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I found some excitement thinking about this text from Luke, known as the Magnificat. Magnificat is a Latin word that means magnifies, and this is what Mary says in the first words of this famous speech, this song, the opening words of this passage, my soul magnifies the Lord. And the words unfold from there. Here's a bit more of this story, this context of this passage. All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the familiar and the wonderful story of God's Son, Jesus the Christ, coming into the world to save the world. But each Gospel tells this story in a different way. And each of these four Gospels actually begin very differently one from another. In the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming into the world, begins with angels and women. An angel appears to a certain priest named Zechariah, who's married to Elizabeth, and they are barren, the text says, But an angel announces to this priest, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, that they would have a son and his name would be John. Also in Luke 1, another angel appears on the scene in Galilee. That would be the region around the Sea of Galilee in Nazareth to a certain woman named Mary. And this angel, Gabriel is his name, appears before Mary to announce that she too would have a baby. The angel says, he will be great. His name would be Jesus, the son of the most high God, and the Lord will give him the throne of David. That is a very powerful way of saying that Jesus would assume king of all Israel, of God's people. And the implication is that God's kingdom then would come with the arrival of this one, the son of the most high God, Jesus, born to Mary. So Luke's gospel about the coming of God into the world does not begin in a manger in Bethlehem. It begins with two women 
and two angels, and these women are cousins. And the story of God coming into the world begins with these women learning that they are pregnant, both of them in miraculous ways, and then the two of them run to meet each other for a kind of festive baby shower, talking about what's going on. When they come together, John, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps with seeming joy, and then Mary responds with singing. And she sings the words that I just read, the Magnificat, which says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God is at work in powerful ways. Now, this particular story of two women and two pregnancies and their coming together in joy and singing is another great story in the Scriptures where God is acting in new and fresh ways bring about God's kingdom, God's intended purposes for the world. It's coming about, and this is how it's going to be done now. Another effort by God to establish God's kingdom. And actually, this song of celebration from Mary, her soul, her spirit, magnifying the Lord because God is all-powerful and always at work, echoes, actually, another major turning point in the history of God's people. Way back in the early chapters of the Old Testament, in the pages of 1 Samuel, God's people were in a very bad place. While they had been called to be a people, and while they had been led out of slavery, and while they had passed through the wilderness, and while they had actually been established in the promised land, There were many problems and great unrest among the people of God as the first pages of 1 Samuel tell the story. What seemed to be lacking in those days was leadership among God's people. They had gotten this far, but they were lacking strong leadership. So much fighting, so much quarreling among the tribes of Israel that it had paralyzed their development. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, God finds a righteous woman named Hannah who begs to be an agent of God in God's work, in God's purposes, establishing God's kingdom. Hannah conceives and bears a son. His name is Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer to God unfolds in a way that Mary, in Luke 1, reiterates almost Line by line. God has done great things. There's no one like God. Even the mighty bowls of mighty people will be torn down. The proud will be scattered. The hungry will be fed. God will prevail. God's purposes are for sure. God's kingdom is going to come about. Here's the point. An important season when seasons when God acts to turn and reorient God's people toward God's purposes and God's kingdom in significant days. When God is making a way when there seems to be no way, it's not unusual in the Bible for women 
to emerge and sing songs of praise and joy. The mighty one does great things, these songs say. Hannah and Mary and other women in Scripture show us how to praise God. How to reorient life toward God's purposes because God is at work and God is doing new things. So we need to focus our lives on God and give God praise and honor, live with God and serve God with our lives. And more than that, these songs, Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel 1 and Mary's Magnificent from Luke 1 are not just about the mighty one doing great things like bringing uh, women to birth for God's purposes. These songs are always about justice and hope and peace prevailing in the whole world. These songs from the hearts of these women are about the coming of God's kingdom. The coming of God's kingdom doesn't mean just that God finds a way when there is no way. The coming of God's kingdom is not just about barren women having babies or leaders emerging among God's people or even light shining in a little bit of darkness. No, the coming of God's kingdom, if we take our keys from these powerful prayers and songs from Hannah and Mary and others, they always point to a new and improved social order that encompasses all people everywhere. The selfish and the rich are scattered. Those who have been hungry have plenty to eat. The proud get lost in their thoughts and the weak are shown strength. Those who sit on the street corners looking for a little extra change have enough, more than enough to get them through the day. God lifts the needy from the ash heap. The powerful, especially the oppressive, are brought down. This is what it's always about, these messages of God's coming kingdom. So this is not just gentle Mary, the little girl who's found herself pregnant, singing praises to God. It's another glimpse of what God intends across the whole world. This is not just a celebration of a pregnancy and a baby shower and people chatting it up. This is poetry. Poetry that points to God's justice across the earth. A depiction of what God wants everywhere. A wholeness and a hope, not just for a few, but for all people. Not just a slice of life improved for some, but light and love and hope and fullness everywhere. Everywhere. So as this week unfolded, this was going to be the whole focus of this sermon. The promised joy, the justice that God intends The kingdom coming, announced by Mary again, that comes in Jesus and covers the earth. But we never know what happens in the midst of any given week in our lives, do we? On Thursday afternoon of this week, just as I'm getting geared up about the coming of God's kingdom, I started getting text messages and cell phone calls and emails from and about Blacksburg. 
This is sad news for all of us. It's a reminder of the violent world that we live in. It's difficult news for parents who send their kids off to college. It's difficult news for all of us who worry about our world. Shocking and fearful news from Blacksburg. Another reminder of how far we actually are from God's intended kingdom. Most of you know Ginger and I served for almost 12 years in that particular community in Blacksburg, that college town. As most of you know, a significant piece of my ministry and the subject of my doctoral project was about police and trauma. And as you know, this past Thursday afternoon in the middle of a Virginia Tech campus, just a few yards from the former tragedy in 2007, the massive shooting, a police officer was killed during a routine traffic stop. Here's a bit more of the context that's very significant for me and for all of us, actually. There is nothing, nothing more devastating for a police department than to have one of their officers killed, especially at a routine and seemingly random act of violence, a routine stop, and an inexplicable act of violence. It's not only about the loss of human life, which is bad enough. This kind of incident creates waves and waves of fear and doubt and uncertainty and anxiety for anybody who's even remotely related to that police officer. It generates harsh and indelible memories that carry a community a long way from what God intends in God's kingdom. It is devastating news for a specific family who's lost a loved one in a shocking and violent way in the middle of a college campus. In this case, the officer has a wife and five children. He's also a son, he's a brother, he's an uncle. And this tragedy includes not only him and his family, but scores of other officers who found themselves at that particular scene, who pulled his body out of the car, who tried to do CPR on their colleague on the pavement, and who have to live forever with a kind of vivid memory of their colleague dying on that particular day in that spot. This tragedy includes police dispatchers who were working that day and coordinating events and listening to everything that's happening, especially as their close colleague and friend dies on that pavement. And then this tragedy touches very closely every police department across this country in, and particularly the departments in that region who are all very vulnerable. And it brings up, as you can imagine, old wounds, old worries. It creates new anxieties. It brings another layer of heartache and fear and uncertainty and confusion and loss, all of which actually most people can't really understand. Because of my own close ties to Blacksburg and to the police in Blacksburg and because of my ongoing work and my experiences with police and trauma in our Commonwealth of Virginia, 
I responded to the various requests that came from various people and departments in Blacksburg inviting me to come there on Thursday night to help with the care and support for traumatized officers. Numerous individuals and folks were urging me to come if I could find my way to Blacksburg on Thursday night. So I did it. I drove to Blacksburg, getting there uh, in the middle of the evening. And I connected on Thursday evening with my good friend Tommy McDerris, who continues to serve as chaplain of both Blacksburg Police and Virginia Tech Police. We sought to comfort and offer consolation and make some plans with the chiefs of both Blacksburg and Virginia Tech for how they would care for their departments in the coming days. We helped them make plans for certain distraught officers who were particularly unsettled by this event. After a very short night of sleep, I got a call at 5 a.m. to go to the emergency room in Blacksburg to sit with and listen to a distraught police officer who was in total panic and stress. Her body and her life turned upside down by the fears and the uncertainties and the doubts that that had happened that day. Through the rest of Friday, I spent time with uh, various individuals and small groups of people who were most closely related with the incident on campus and the death of that officer, listening to their emerging horrors, listening to them as they describe where they were, listening and struggling with them in their uncertainty and fear and confusion, And then I went with Tommy to the home of the widow, a shock and grief-filled place, trying to convey God's light to that young woman and her five children and to help them plan an almost impossible task, which is a humongous funeral tomorrow. Folks, there were not many signs of God's kingdom in those brief hours for me in Blacksburg. This is the first time I've even been back since the moving van rolled away. Mary sings of her spirit rejoicing in God. The shock and the tears of Thursday's horrific loss have covered up rejoicing. The searing images of death, the sickness of our violent world, the sounds of sirens and fear make it hard to see God's strength in moments like that. The heavy pall of grief in that particular home of a fallen officer, the campus in shock, can certainly raise doubts about God's promises. And of course, we're just talking about one incident. You all have your own. It may not be this week, but we all find ourselves in unexpected times dealing with heartache and hurt and pain and confusion that makes us doubt God's promises, that one makes us wonder about God's strength, that fills us with confusion and anxiety and sickness and sadness. Can we affirm, like Mary, that God has done great things? Can we see God's mercy? Can our souls magnify the Lord? Can our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior? 
Here's what I know. Here's what I know. God comes to give life. God comes to bring hope, peace, and joy. We celebrate it, standing around that wreath and light those candles. We affirm this. Even when we struggle to trust God in the midst of pain and suffering and heartache and death, And just as God comes to maiden Mary and just as God keeps finding a way where there is no way, that's the story of Scripture. We keep affirming and we keep trusting God also. The Mighty One has done great things. The Mighty One will continue to do great things. Whether we live or whether we die, friends, we belong to God. God's promised kingdom comes in all the moments and all the ways we seek to move, open, trust, look for, anticipate, work for God's light and love and peace and hope. While there may be setbacks, and they come, while life includes pain and loss, and it's real, Even terrible devastation and death comes close. Life always includes God and God's promises. And we keep moving toward God's kingdom. No doubt about it. We're not there yet. In fact, we're a long way from it. But we know that God has not deserted us. Nor will God ever forget us. We keep living with faith. We keep looking with anticipation and hope. We keep lighting these candles. We keep affirming our faith. We keep trusting and loving and working and serving and following Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. This is what God is about. Mary reminds us. Mary reminds us. Lifting the lowly. This is what God is about. Strengthening the faint. Mary reminds us, this is what God is about, dethroning the powerful and meeting people where they are and blessing. This is what God is about, feeding the desperate, caring for the hungry and the hurting. This is what God is about, bringing justice, bringing hope to our whole world. This is what God is about. We get a glimpse of the kingdom through Mary. It may get blurry at times, but may... We keep living as faithful people, looking to God's coming, trusting in God's presence, opening our heart to God's peace, and finding ourselves, in fact, more and more aligned with God's purposes, God's kingdom. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. And may your kingdom come near and far this day and forever. Through Christ we pray. Amen.